Well, good morning and welcome to Yontville Community Church Online. My name is Dan Bidwell, Senior Pastor here, and uh, Happy New Year. Uh, we hope you've had a great Christmas uh, holiday period and New Year. Uh, thank you for joining us today as we turn our focus to how we're going to worship God this year, how we're going to serve God this year, and what a great way to start in His Word. I'm going to share with you this morning from Psalm 73. So please join with me as we read Psalm 73. A Psalm of Asaph. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace, for they clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. And therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always carefree, and they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and washed, uh, washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I'd spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They're like a dream when one awaits. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, and yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds.
Well, a few years ago, uh, an otter from a Czech zoo became famous on the internet when zookeepers took these photos of the otter eating a watermelon. Uh, it looks like the otter is hating it, doesn't it? Uh, but he keeps eating it anyway. I think that was the same face my son used to make when we fed him vegetables. That's uh, the face that I make at the moment when I think about doing exercise. And it's the face we make when we do something we don't want to do, uh, even though we know it will be good for us. Well, what do you do when following God makes you feel like an otter eating watermelon? You see, I suspect for at least some of us, starting 2021, we're feeling like following Jesus this year will be hard work. Perhaps you're not even sure if God is worth it anymore. Or perhaps you've been thinking about giving up on God. This morning, I want to start our new year with a psalm. It's one of my favorites. It's one that helps uh, us keep our eyes focused on God, one that helps us keep following the path of God, one that reminds us that God is with us every step of the way. So my prayer is that this time this morning would be a time of refreshment for you and, uh, and also for me, a time to reconnect with God and to remember his goodness to us in Jesus. So let's pray that God will speak to us now as we open his words. Dear Heavenly Father, speak to us today through Psalm 73. Remind us of how good you are and refresh our souls as we look forward to another year in your service. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold. The author of our psalm, Asaph, is having one of those moments. He knows that God is good, and more than that, he knows that God is good to his people Israel. He knows that God is good to those who are pure in heart, and that is to those who really seek to live for God with all of their heart and soul and strength. The psalmist knows that God is good, but if he's honest with himself, God's goodness is hard to see right at the moment. And if he's honest with himself, it feels like he's slipping away from loving and trusting God. Verse 2, 
But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold. And here's the reason. When he compares his life following God with the lives of those around him who don't give God a second thought, guess whose life seems better? Are the life of purity or the life of pleasure and prosperity? See, the psalmist compares his life with everyone else around him. And do you know what he feels? He feels envy. Verse 3. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. See, what's the point of purity when arrogant, boastful people seem to prosper and you're getting crushed by life? Well, read what the psalmist sees when he looks at the wicked. Verse 4. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. He looks and he sees that the wicked are living it up. They're young, they're wild, they're free, they're unrestrained, they're unhindered, they're unstoppable. Uh, when I used to play football, there were always guys like this. They were always good looking. They were always great players with natural ability that, you know, you can't, the sort of thing you can't learn through coaching. Uh, they would touch the ball and magic would happen. And do you know how often they were jerks as well? You can't imagine the sorts of things that I heard from the mouths of those guys. Uh, stuff that's unrepeatable. And there I was, the Christian guy on the team. I was hardworking, but hardly magical. And you can imagine the sort of things that they said about me at times. And it's not just men who are like this. I used to teach in a girls' school, and there were girls who were just the same, and they would grow up into the women in the office or in the school gate or the shop who never changed. Uh, they grew up into mean girls. To use the words from verse 6 onwards, this kind of person, the wicked, they wear their pride like a necklace, or like a decoration. They clothe themselves in violence. Their hearts are callous. They're conceited, scoffers, malicious, arrogant, oppressors. And their boastfulness will stop at nothing. Their mouths, verse 9, lay claim to heaven. And their tongues take possession of the earth. I can do whatever I want, they say. And you know what? It looks like they're right. And verse 10, people flock to them. People lap up the words of the wicked. They drink them in like they're the words of life, even when those words deny the author of life. Verse 11, they say, well, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? But here's the funny thing. Even though we know they're wicked, and even though we hear them blaspheme God, don't we all want a little bit of that kind of success? You know, when we meet a professional football player or, or a model or a TV personality or a famous CEO or a politician, don't we all secretly wish that a bit of their magic would rub off on us? It's easy to envy the wicked, even as Christians. Now, of course, we're in a bit of a different position to the psalmist. You know that the psalms are a collection of poems written to God and written about God and some of them praise his character and goodness and other ones are people crying out to God for help in difficulty. Some are even complaints to God about the circumstances that his people find themselves in. And that's where this psalm starts. Asaph, the psalmist, knows that God is good and, and that God has promised to look after his people. But at the time when Asaph was writing, God's people had been taken into exile. That is, their country had been invaded by armies and God's people had been taken away from the promised land. And they'd been led off into Assyria or Babylon and resettled there. 
And for Asaph, even though he'd worked to keep his heart pure, it looked like his efforts were in vain. The wicked, they were living carefree, but not the psalmist. And so we get to the second section of the psalm, the the second surely. Verse 13. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. Have you ever had the feeling of doing something in vain? When I was a high school teacher, there was one job we all hated and that was doing the registers. Uh, The register was the official record or was meant to be the official record of what you do in every lesson of the year. Uh, makes notes of the goals and objectives and learning outcomes and assessment tasks and how they relate to the syllabus. It is riveting stuff, (laughs) not. Well, the problem with the registers was that our day-to-day teaching bore very little resemblance to what we put in the registers. You had to do the register to fulfill all righteousness, but once it was finished, we'd put it away in the cupboard and we would never refer to it again for the rest of the year. It was days and days of work done in vain seemed like it had no real purpose. Well, the psalmist felt the same. It seems like his religious observance, his quest for purity, it was all wasted time. It didn't make his life easier or better. In fact, it felt like he was being punished every morning. I wonder if you've ever had that experience of the Christian faith. And I wonder if that's your experience now. You've tried to keep your heart pure for Jesus, but your health is failing or your work is difficult. Or perhaps looking for work is proving unsuccessful. Maybe you've kept your heart pure as you prayed for a husband or a wife or you've prayed for your children and you've heard no answer from God. Maybe your marriage is in a hard place right now and you're lonely. It can be difficult to talk about these things in the church. After all, aren't we Christians meant to be full of joy in every circumstance? Perhaps when you look around, it seems like everybody else in the church, they've all got it together. And you're the only one struggling, the only one plagued every day and punished in the morning. When we look at verse 15, the psalmist doesn't want to talk in public about his feelings, as if talking ill of God would be betrayal. And we can feel the same way in church, as if complaining is a sign that I don't trust God. But actually, if we look through the psalms, the psalms show us that we can cry out to God in our fear, in our anger, in our loneliness, It's not betrayal or blasphemy, it's actually healthy. God wants us to cast all of our worries on Him because He knows us and He knows our hearts anyway. And the Psalms help give voice to the thoughts that we almost don't dare whisper because they feel like blasphemy. As one theologian, Walter Brueggemann, wrote, uh, he said this about the Psalms, the Psalms lead us into dangerous acknowledgement of how life really is. They lead us into the presence of God where everything is not polite and civil. They cause us to think unthinkable thoughts and utter unutterable words. Israel didn't deny or banish the darkness from its religious enterprise. It embraces the darkness as the very stuff of new life. Indeed, Israel seems to know that life is rooted nowhere else. It's okay to say that you're struggling to cope with life. Uh, It's okay to say you're struggling with your marriage or or your singleness or your anger or your disappointment. And as your church family, we're here to support you and bring your concerns to me or to Joe or to one of the elders or to Barbara. But but we're not the only ones to come to. And my prayer is that uh, we each establish good and trusting relationships with one or two others here in our church family. People we can go to 
in these times of darkness. Because the last thing that God wants is for us to slip and lose our foothold. I don't know if you've done much rock climbing, but there's this point when you're climbing and you feel like you're about to slip. And uh, you look left and you look right and you look up and you look down, but you just can't find the next hold. And your muscles tense up and, and you can feel yourself slipping. And at that point, there's only two ways to go. There's down uh, or there's up. You can let go and that has consequences. Or you can breathe in, you can look up and you can go, trusting that there's always another hold just beyond what you can see in your panic. There's two great feelings in climbing. One is reaching that next hold when you thought you couldn't. And the other is reaching the top. Because when you reach the top, you can turn around and look back over the valley that you just climbed out of and it gives you a whole new perspective. And that's what happens for our psalmist. Just when he thought he wouldn't make it, just when he thought his feet would slip, verse 17, he comes into the presence of God and he gains a whole new perspective. Even though it looked to him like the wicked were living a blessed life, when he stands before God, it shows him that the wicked have a very different destiny. Verse 18, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they're destroyed. Uh, how suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? They're like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. It turns out that the only people slipping are the evil ones. All of their boastful arrogance is taking them down a slippery slope to destruction. And when God arises, verse 20, when Jesus returns, he will put an end to all wickedness. And those Wicked people, they will be forgotten like a bad dream in the morning. And as the psalmist stands before God, right there in the sanctuary, he's in the Holy of Holies, in the very presence of God, it's so sudden, uh, it's, all of a sudden it's so obvious that the good life that the wicked seemed to have, it was actually so inferior to the goodness of God. And the wickedness of the wicked, which had not looked that bad with earthly eyes, all of a sudden was shown to be so wicked in comparison with the holiness of God. There's no way that you would feel envious of the wicked at that moment. I think my greatest fear in life is to be found standing among the wicked on that day as God pronounces judgment. I think I'm so fearful of it because I know that's exactly where I deserve to stand. If God is good to the pure in heart, then I'm in big trouble. My heart is as black as theirs, scoffing and malice and, and violence and arrogance and blasphemy. They all describe who I am at different times. But there was one who was pure in heart. There was one who lived an innocent life. Jesus, God the Son who left heaven and entered our dark world to live the life that we couldn't live and who died the death that we deserve to die because of our wickedness. Jesus has stood in our place. He's stood among the wicked and he's taken our judgment. That's what the cross was all about. And he stood in our place so that we could stand before God pure and innocent and unashamed of what we've been and what we've done. I take it that even our own wickedness will be like a dream when you wake up on that day, a strange memory that somehow doesn't feel quite right. Through faith in Jesus, our heart of sin is replaced with a heart that beats for God alone, a pure heart that's good enough for God because Jesus has made it pure. And that means that our destiny is very different 
It's the opposite of those who pursue a life without God. Verse 23, Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward you will take me into your glory. When our feet are slipping, when we wonder whether following God is worthwhile, when you're ready to give it all away, God is there with us. He's there holding us by the hand. He's guiding us. He's counseling us. And when our days are over, he will take us into glory. This psalm is all about remembering God's good promises to us and clinging to them as we navigate the hardest parts of life this side of heaven. No one knows what 2021 will bring, or hopefully some better news about the coronavirus, and no doubt we'll all enjoy God's blessings in different ways this year. But it doesn't mean that we'll be trouble-free. In 2021, we may face all kinds of challenges. Perhaps even our flesh and our heart may fail. But listen to the psalmist's prayer as he looks ahead into the unknown. Verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. These are some of my absolute favorite words of scripture. Words that I come back to time and time again in my own journey with God. Come what may. God will be the one thing that I count on every day of my life to my dying breath. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Coming into 2021, I would love that to be the prayer of your heart. And I would love that to be the prayer of our church together. Because I don't want anything to cause us to slip away from God in 2021. Will you join me in that prayer? Our Father, as we come to you in this new year, uh, we trust that you are with us, that you guide us, that you counsel us, and that afterwards you'll take us into glory. As we look ahead into the unknown, help us to make you the strength of our hearts and our portion forever. Help us not to look to anything in this world for our comfort and hope. Instead, help us to find our peace in Christ alone, whatever, whatever path you lay before us. Father, for all whose faith is weak right now, we ask that you'd strengthen them by your Holy Spirit through the encouragement of your church family. Help us not to be distant, but to draw near to one another this season, showing love and Christian care through appropriate means of contact. Lead us into prayer for one another and for our church as construction continues on our Yon Street campus. Give the elders wisdom as they lead and oversee our church. May you give us a year of growth and excitement and revival as you work amongst us to make Jesus known in the Napa Valley and beyond. And Lord, we do pray for your word to go out to the ends of the earth. We pray for churches and missionaries throughout the world. We ask you to pour out your blessing on them as they proclaim the gospel of salvation through faith in Christ. And when we ask that you give us the same missionary heart here in the Napa Valley and wherever we live. Lord, we want to see many people come to salvation in 2021. So we pray that you'd pour out your spirit on us as we minister and witness. We ask that you would lead us and use us to bring in your harvest. Lord, we thank you for our own salvation, for the forgiveness of sins, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the hope of the resurrection. Help us to build our lives on this truth alone for the glory and praise of your holy name. We pray all of these prayers in the strong name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. 
Lord, we pray that this morning has been a refreshment for your soul, uh, that you've been spurred on to continue following Jesus, uh, to continue following on God's pathway all the days of your life. Uh, We're going to continue focusing on that for the rest of January. So we hope to see you next week. But until then, goodbye and God bless.